Donald Trump called him tough. Rush Limbaugh read one of his articles live on his radio show. Ann Coulter tweeted that article to her one and a half million followers and declared, every sentence is perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, former chief editor of the Jewish Press, Elliot Resnick. Welcome to the Elliot Resnick Show, where we interview fighters and firebrands on the political and cultural battlefields. Many of you may have heard of Maharat, an institution in Riverdale founded by Rabbi Avi Weiss in 2009, which claims to offer smicha to women. It has ostensibly ordained 58 women so far and boasts on its website that 60 more students are, quote, in the pipeline preparing to change the landscape of our Orthodox Judaism and the community at large, end quote. Our guest today, Mrs. Mashi Gross, will be giving us the inside scoop on this institution. She studied at Maharat for two years, even though she's a Trump Republican. Yes, that doesn't really make any sense, and in retrospect, she agrees it makes no sense. She actually left after Trump's victory when several of her fellow students made it clear to her that Trump supporters don't really belong at Maharat. Before attending Maharat, Mrs. Mashi Gross, who has a master's degree in Jewish education, served as a rabbitson in Omaha, Nebraska for 10 years. Her husband, in fact, used to annually sell their community's chametz to Warren Buffett before Pesach. And today she works as an executive recruiter in the Israeli startup scene. Mrs. Gross, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. My first question is, I'm sure the one that's on the minds of all my listeners, why in the world did you attend Maharat? (laughs) That's a really good question. I mean, anyone who knows me first off knows that I like to do kind of like experimental and crazy things. So what happened was John, my husband, Rabbi Jonathan Gross, he was a rabbi and we started to discuss the idea that he was going to maybe leave the rabbinate. He had always wanted to go to law school and it happens to be that I fell into being a Rebbitzin. I got this title as Rebbitzin, and I actually loved the role. It was always fun when people would call me Rebbitzin. It was always like a little affectionate or funny, whatever. And I said to myself, what's going to happen when he stops being a rabbi? I want to still be a Rebbitzin. So I had this crazy thought. Why don't I go to Maharat where you can make up your own title, get paid to learn Torah, and basically I'm now going to be a Rebbitzin whether my husband's a rabbi or not. That was literally the thinking. So you don't have to pay to go to Maharat? They pay you to go? They paid me $10,000 a year. And I was like, this is a dream. What's your background? More black hat? More modern orthodox? Somewhere in the middle? I went to Beis Yaakov. Didn't do great there, but I graduated from the Yeshiva of Greater Washington. Great experience. Went to Dar Chabina for two years. Spent some time in Turo, but I got my degree from Thomas Edison State College. So I think that tells you a little bit. <laughs> a little more yeshivish, yes. Because we were speaking the other week, and I think you told me that one of the reasons you wound up in Maharat is because you had a more yeshiva background, you weren't really conversant in the intricacies of the modern Orthodox world. Like To you, Maharat was just kind of like a modern Orthodox institution. You didn't quite realize that it was so different than another modern Orthodox institution. Am I summarizing that correctly? Yeah. It's a little overly simplistic, but I could say that, yes, you know, I didn't see the nuance, let's say, between one part of the modern Orthodox world and the other. So I just assumed it was just like a more progressive part of the modern Orthodox world ahead of time. I mean, I don't want to sound like I was overly naive. I I knew what they were up to. But yes, I will say that culturally, I'm not a native of the modern Orthodox world. My husband is like a Wayu Musmach, went to Frisch, like Teaneck guy. We grew up in totally different worlds. I grew up in Baltimore, going to more basic of environments. So maybe it didn't have as much of like a hot trigger thing for me. 
like, oh, this is not Orthodox. I kind of saw modern Orthodox and Maharat world as being just two sides of the same thing. I know this wasn't at all the topic of this interview, but since you grew up in the more yeshivish world and your husband grew up in the more modern Orthodox world, how did you guys meet to get married? That's a really good question. It's a beautiful story. Um, Hashem tried to put us together many times. Shana Bet, we happened to be in Hevro, same time, same place, same bus. I was in Darchebina, he was in BMT. We had encountered each other before, but it just wasn't right. And uh, my mother spent Shabbos in Omaha, Nebraska, and met this single rabbi. And uh, I don't know, <laughs> she just uh, did her thing. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Made it happen. Interesting. Oh, and by the way, I called you Mrs. Mashi Gross in the, in the introduction. I'm, I'm not sure if I was supposed to call you Rebbiton. I apologize. I thought maybe you didn't want the title anymore, but. I didn't graduate Maharat and my husband's not a rabbi anymore. <laughs> what am I going to do? Oh, Rebbiton Emeritus. <laughs> there we okay. go. Uh, how, how many students were studying at Maharat when you were there? And what were your impressions of the students? It's really hard to say. I feel like there were 20-ish but over the time, there was some other classes that started I, I about that. Basically, the way I would say the makeup is, there were like the kind of more classical feminist types that I think were just, this was like a really interesting way to kind of further things like women's fila groups, you know, like the classical things that are more in the acceptable realm that I've now understood about the modern Orthodox women stuff, but like not angry feminists, you know, like more just like, look, the seventies came and went, you know, we can do whatever we want. We're lawyers, we're doctors, and it's a little delayed on the, the Torah stuff. And now we're here and it's great. So that was like a whole type and they were almost always going to be older than me. <laughs> so, you know, like... I'm 45. So, you know, it was like 40s and 50s, 60s, even six year old women were like that. And then there was like the whole genre of the younger ones, the millennials. Lots of anger. <laughs> a few girls were like the only daughter in a very shul going family or something like that. Or you would also find a shocking amount of converts and bali chuva, which I thought was really interesting because. I come from a family of Bali Chuva, and I always felt that my parents in coming in had this humility when they joined the community. You know, not everything makes sense. And I remember my mother struggling with some things from her liberal hippie life, but like ultimately she wanted to come into this world because of the values and things like that. And I always saw that. And these were women who you felt they were embarrassed by parts of Judaism. Like literally to the point where they couldn't talk about it. So angry, so scared, so embarrassed. There was this thing when we started learning Hilchos Nida. Anytime the rabbis in the Gemara say something sexist, they have a bowl of money, you put money in. It was like they had to do something with every uncomfortable feeling. And, you know, I come from just this world where like, you know, you always hear things that are uncomfortable and then you figure out how to get through around, you know, there's things that you know you love more than those things. So you just, you get there. And I felt it was like constant distraction. If there was something that didn't fit with the party line, and by the way, not even the moderate party line feminism, like the extremist feminism, they couldn't handle the discomfort and there was all this weird awkwardness. So there was a lot of that type of thing. I chalked it a lot up to either just immaturity. They were very, very young. 
I will say a number of them seemed a little weird. Like it wasn't this group of intellectual superheroes. You know what I mean? It wasn't a team of like spiritually diligent, disciplined women like Bruria <laughs> or firebrands like Yalta. Like it wasn't these women that I would look up to in literally any way, shape or form, except for I would say a few of the older women just were wonderful people, brilliant women. What were the percentage of, of older women versus younger women? Very little okay. older women. There were a few, and I loved all of them. We got along so well. I like felt I was in that world. One of the older women was my Chavrusa. She's such an amazing, brilliant woman and totally cool with exploring any ideas with me. So she knew where I came from. She knew who I was, and we could have really wonderful discussions. So it was really nice. I met two men who studied at Chovei Torah, which is the male yeshiva founded by Rabbi Avi Weiss. And these two students had no idea that it was a far left-wing modern Orthodox yeshiva. One was a chassid trying to broaden his horizons. And as soon as he left the chassidic community, like the rest of the Jewish community was like one big blur for him. And another was a Sephardi from Europe who knew nothing about the internal politics of the modern Orthodox world. Did you meet women of that sort at Maharat, well-meaning women who just accidentally wound up there? I don't think so. No, I think in yeah. order to be at Maharat, I think in Chobave, you could probably focus on the Torah a lot better. When Maharat, women's stuff comes up on the daily. So you're constantly having to deal with that. And it's very alien ideas from a traditional, from mindset. Why does it come up daily? You know, I mean, you're learning Nida. You're, you're learning, like, we learned all of the places in Halacha that, like, come up. And there's a lot of women's stuff. I mean, you're learning, like, like Hilchel Shabbos or something. It probably doesn't have to come up that often, does it? Yeah, you'd be surprised. Okay. You'd be surprised. I wish I had better examples for you, but I would say transgender, gay stuff, women stuff, all of that would come in all the time. And I think, I do want to say, I think in Chovave, it's believable to me that somebody came and didn't know where the heck they were because you're learning Gamara. Who's talking about women all the time? You know, they, they also have this added thing, like an insecurity, I think that they wanted to be more like Yeshiva Bachers. And I feel like the women, like, I mean, as hard as you could try, you're never going to look like a Yeshiva Bacher. <laughs> you're yeah. a woman learning Gamara. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think a Chobave guys, there was a, this possible slight like undercurrent where they all actually wanted to pass as yeshivish. I'm trying to gauge the level of honesty of students at Maharat. So let me ask you, Rabbi David Halivni, or David Halivni, was, I believe, the foremost halachic authority at the Jewish Theological Seminary in the early 1980s. And he famously resigned in protest after that institution decided to start ordaining women. He actually wrote a halachic article opposing the decision to ordain women. And I was wondering, did anyone at Maharat ever mention the opinion of Rabbi David Halivni against ordaining women as rabbis? Honestly, there was maybe a class or two where we went through the halachic stuff about ordaining women, but it was pretty much just a given that it had to happen somehow. I don't remember that. Yeah, no, only because I would assume they don't really care what some Haredi rabbi thinks about ordaining women, but I thought maybe at least they would try to grapple with someone who taught at the Jewish Theological Seminary who's conservative, so they'd have to feel maybe obligated to at least respond to him. Yeah, no, I actually think that they made a conscious choice to only care about what the Frum community thinks of them. I used to describe it as like a rebellious teenager who's like doing their thing, but they can only do it if they know that the parents going to be watching or going to be annoyed. 
I think I sent you one of the articles that I wrote that I put out right after the OU became very angry with Maharat. And it was like a day of celebration. It's like, they finally see me. They finally see me. And they're, and they're such jerks. <laughs> but it was literally like, I don't think they care about what the conservative community does. They just want somehow to be accepted it's like a fantasy world. Like, what planet is the yeshivish world ever going to say, yeah, you're right. If you look at the sources, women can be ordained as rabbis. We should do that, too. Like, that's literally what they thought in their world that would happen. Did they ever bother talking about why the from world should accept them? Or they simply assumed as time goes on, this is inevitable, will happen one way or another? I think it was like, as time goes on, inevitable, there is a lot of the guilt about Kavod Habrios type of stuff. There was a lot of that conversation, just like things have to change because of Kavod Habrios, you know, like that genre, let's say, of halacha has to evolve just because but that's it's pro- better. That's probably one of the weakest type of argument. There is no halacha that in theory you couldn't break because of Kavod Habrios. So you're invited to a Chinese person's house and he serves you very formally non-kosher food. And if you say, I'm not going to eat it, he'll be super insulted. Kavod Habrios, you can't say no. So I think there's also the position that there's no thing you want to do that you couldn't find a halachic reason it's okay. The old line, if there's a rabbinic will, there's a halachic way. Exactly. They take that very seriously. There was this sense of like, we're going to do whatever we want, and then we're going to find halachas to say that it's okay from an institutional perspective, and then that's life now. I mean, they're taking a gamble. They did take a gamble, and I don't think it's going to work. And all the examples they bring in the past, like, you know, the base Yaakov teaching girls Torah altogether, every evolution in Jewish life has had, put it this way, it was never instituted as a rebellion against what happened before. Sure. No one said, we have this new secular movement, and we're now going to rebel against the traditional culture. It was done often with at least some rabbinic support, and not just oh, some minor rabbinic support, some major rabbinic support. So I think it was the Chavetz Chaim and the Ger Rebbe. I'm not saying the majority of rabbis agreed, but at least you had one or two major Jewish authorities that agreed right. to this evolution of change and it's always within halacha so it's not a rebellion against halacha and here you have rabbi avi weiss a very i'm sure a very nice person but i mean he's not a rabbinic authority i mean according to anybody i think know. that's the main thing about it is like i i actually talked about this with my chavrusa a lot we were like why isn't this just another conservative movement like how does it still fall under orthodoxy like, it doesn't even make any sense she actually was very comfortable with the idea you know what i i like a type of Judaism where it, you must keep Shabbos, you must keep Halacha, and women can do whatever they want. She's like, I joined that movement. She didn't care if it was called Orthodox Judaism. Like, I felt like, how do they not see that this is literally exactly how reform started? This is exactly how conservatives started. Like, If you don't have the buy-in for change from the mainstream, from community, you are creating a new movement. That's it. What you just said in your Chavrusa's names reminds me of people call it Sheilaism, and it's because someone once asked a woman named Sheila, I think her <laughs> definition of, of religion, and she basically said, It's really funny. I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I, I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism, just my own little voice. It's just try to love yourself and be gentle with yourself. You know, I guess take care of each other. So it's kind of like a feel-good, you know, it's not a real religion. It's not based on God. It's just based on what I want, really, or feel like. Right. I mean, I, I don't want to make, you know, my chavruz, I think, was just saying I'm comfortable starting the next conservative right. movement. 
I think that's what she was saying. You know, Maharat saying, no, like we are the new Orthodox. And to me, that sounded ridiculous. It's like you obviously aren't because you're totally separating and you're not wanting to incorporate any Das Torah or anything anyone's saying because it's not what you wanted to say. So I guess I'm just trying to say it's a new movement. Just because they put the word Orthodox in doesn't mean there's any hope of it ever being accepted. It's completely against like the values of Torah Judaism. Right. And I remember thinking that they've definitely gone too far when I heard a debate between I think one of the rabbis from Chovei Torah and Rabbi Shmuel Golden. Rabbi Shmuel Golden is a left-wing modern Orthodox rabbi. He lives in Israel now. He used to be the head of a modern Orthodox shul in Englewood, New Jersey. And he was arguing against what they were doing. He said, look, you're creating a rift in the Jewish community. He said, you can't make changes without... First of all, sometimes halacha is black and white. No matter who says it's okay, it's still wrong. But I don't know enough of the halacha. Supposing there's a tiny area of gray, he said you can't make any changes without major rabbinic support. He said you have no major rabbinic support. What are you doing? All you're doing is going to create a rift in the Jewish community. And this is Rabbi Shmuel Golden, a left-wing modern Orthodox rabbi, saying this. Right. I would say even deeper than that, not just for Das Torah to agree to something, but Torah Judaism is a beautiful way of life that people love. And so if you're asking to do these things, you're asking to take that away from people. I mean, one of the main agendas that they had is to obligate women in mitzvah asseshes man grama. So like, I literally, like, I heard that. I was like, what are you talking about? The whole beauty of Judaism is that there's like a women's way to live Torah life and there's a men's way to live Torah life. And we both help each other. You know, we have like, it's these two amazing parts of life that like, I'm taking care of this one. You're taking care of this one. I mean, I literally sat in class one day and I was like, who's watching the kids? Well, the both parents are, are obligated to be at shul. So this is now a religion that requires Hispanic women to be paid to watch our children and raise our children or whatever nationality low paid childcare workers are. Like now it's a religion that relies on this function for it to be is so crazy. And so what from women, and I, I got into a fight with one of my Maharat friends. It's like, real women don't want to be obligated. And she's like, real women? What are you talking about, real women? I was like, I don't mean like you're not a real woman. I just mean the masses of women who love being from and love raising a family and like want to be a mother. And of course, maybe also a lawyer and maybe also a Torah scholar and maybe also these things. And she just like her mind blew up. Like she couldn't handle it. I was like, I'm just talking about like practical stuff. Yeah. Okay. Walk us through a day of Maharat. What's the learning schedule like? It's like a long learning day. I really have to say I am grateful to have had those years to learn while I was a mother. I mean, that's like unheard of. And I learned a lot of Torah and it was great. So it was just like morning for, you know, two hours of Chavrusa and then like an hour of Shir and then afternoon, same thing. There was like all Gemara breakdown. Um, uh, there was Gemara in the mornings and then like more Halacha in the afternoon. Gemara was Masechus Nida? I think we did Kasuvos. Okay. I, I'm blanking. No problem. You don't remember which parak by any chance, do you? No, I wish. I should have like gone back and opened my Gemara and prepared something for you. No, it's all right. <laughs> And halacha in the afternoon. So it was like all the traditional things that people would learn in smicha, like avelos, nida, kasheres, shabbos. Basar and chalav? Yeah. And melicha? Oh my gosh, you're not going to give me like a... No, I don't know it. (laughs) Yes. 
all that stuff. So I can't remember. I know that I was there for Avelos. I was there for Nita. I can't remember what other ones. Garus. But I dare say these are all, I'm not saying they're not, they're actually probably more practical than the other ones, but traditionally, Basar Vachalov, Trefus, these are actually are the core of Samicha. The other stuff is more secondary. But Basar Vachalov and Trefus is less glamorous to learn. Less... I, I may have done that. I, can, I just can't remember, honestly. I mean, it's a part okay. of the, it's a part of the curriculum. So I don't know if that's, Right, I'm. I'm not so, going to say that's that's where there's a deficiency, but how many hours a day? So it was like about six solid hours of learning, probably five days a week, four days, and then like a half a day on Friday, I think. Okay. Did you ever meet Marat's president Sarah Horowitz? And if yes, what were your impressions of her? So I, I really like Sarah. I think she is a really wonderful person. Okay. I interesting. Can I give like a psychoanalysis? <laughs> If you'd like. Okay. So I I feel like she was a young woman who was willing to embark on this experiment. And I personally feel like she was miserable. And she just had no way out of it because she had started this thing. She was the first one. She was like a really – she is a wonderful person. I just did not feel she was like in it. I don't know how else to explain it. But she's let herself – be used or at least stay in that position now for many years. So I think that they, my idea is that she probably thought it was going to be something that it didn't turn out to be. You know, I think when she was looking around at these like little bratty millennials, she's like, this is not like when she was young and she was brilliant and everyone's, she's a promising. and, And would you try this thing? Would you get smicha? And she's looking at all the females who've t- taught her, who were like real, you know, you know who we're talking about, the modern Orthodox, like female scholars. And she's like, yeah, I want to be one of those, except call me something. They should be called something. And then she joins and she's on the path to that. And she's thinking, now we're going to train all these other ones to be that. But what she didn't realize is those women happen naturally. They happened on their own because they're amazing, brilliant women. And so who else is going to join this thing? It's just like a bunch of weirdos. And I always felt, and not all of them are weird, like I said, but, you know, it really is. It's a motley crew. And I, I always felt she was like looking at the students and like, this is not what I pictured. She pictured more academic, serious types? Yeah. And probably even more religious people. Like she is very, really like, you know, I felt she had a religious fervor. I, I really, really like her. Okay. Um, I felt like she's a sincere person. I literally felt like I looked at her sometimes and felt like she was like being held hostage by what she had created. Now, I'm not taking away from, I don't know her and I trust you that she's a very nice person, but she didn't strike she me did. as brilliant. And if you also want to be accepted, you don't put someone out there whose level of Tineas is maybe modern Orthodox, but not up to the level of other people. Um, just, you know, various things, her hair covering and just her cuts of her shirts and stuff. Again, in the modern Orthodox world, that would be more or less okay. But I think she's, yeah, I feel like she's probably like average. Yeah, Tineas. I'm just saying it's not, it's not what you would put out there. And here, here's my example, an analogy. In, in, major, sure. in baseball, Blacks were accepted into Major League Baseball to a large degree because Jackie Robinson was such a good player that it was hard to justify keeping blacks out. Now, it's my impression that ordaining women is forbidden, 
But some people claim there's a tiny bit room of leniency. Okay, now if they're right, and I'm not saying they are okay. right, but if they are right, for argument's sake, for a second, the best sure. way to convince the Orthodox world to accept female rabbis would be for a supremely pious woman to write an absolutely brilliant sefer. Maharat, though, hasn't produced anything close to such a specimen. I once watched right. five minutes of its first graduate, Sarah Horowitz, Horowitz speak, and she's... Okay, yeah, she's not yeah, that. She's not. she's not that. I mean, I, I think she's a... She is, I do think she's like a really nice, good person. I don't think she's nefarious, whatever it is. Okay, yes, she's not that. And that's what she was looking at, and that's what she thought getting smicha was going to make her into. And I always had this thought, how come they didn't just go to those women? and say, can we just call you Rabbanit? Why couldn't we just do that? By the way, the from yeshivish community does that. When you have like a woman who runs a school, whether her husband works in the Diamond District or works somewhere else, whatever, is a Rabbanit yeshiva, she's called Rabbitin. Like, it's not this thing. They made it into this weird thing. And this, I guess this leads into another thing. I am very grateful to the women of the 70s who took away some stigmas and like I've never once in my life felt inhibited from doing a single, single thing because of being a woman. So I'm very grateful to the 70s. Maharat wants the 70s back so that they can be the ones to fight that battle. You know what I'm saying? They want to bring the fight back so that they can fight something and then come up with the answer. Whereas like it's already here. Just... Call the woman a Rebbitzin if you really want to give her a title. Yoetzet. Yoetzet's doing a great job. Take a small thing that's very appropriate for women to do because it's very embarrassing. And probably a lot of women don't even go and ask Shilas anymore because they're embarrassed. So yeah, teach a woman how to check Padika cloths and have rabbinic support behind her. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many more solutions than what they're doing. It makes what they're doing so ridiculous of a solution because they're almost like addressing a problem that most from women wouldn't even agree exists. So you're talking about like women like Smother Rosenzweig, let's say it's Stern, who is a professor of Jewish thought, I think. Or something. Oh, like which examples of women am I talking yeah, about? Yeah. Like who they should have gone to at the beginning right. and said, can we just call you Rebani? Yeah, all those people. I mean, honestly, that's not my world, but let's just say, you know, I had a teacher in seminary and she changed my life. She's brilliant. She knows so much Torah by heart, probably. Yeah. Just go to women leaders and just start calling them Rebetzin. Start calling them Rabbani if you feel it's like this affront to their Torah knowledge to not give them a title. They made this thing into like, it was artificial. And because they couldn't get those women on board, which or who they were looking at when they were thinking about it. They had to scrape the bottom of the barrel for people who'd be willing to do this great experiment. And it's not impressive what they ended up with. Right. So I think if you look at the way the yeshiva world handles feminist issues, women just do stuff that is halakhically allowed when the community agrees to it in some way. No, I agree with you. I mean, so basically you're saying a lot of them have chips on their shoulder, basically. Yeah, I don't know exactly chips on the shoulder. Like, I never love that. I don't know. Okay, I don't know exactly what that means. No, means like, yeah, no I mean, like, they're, they're a little, yeah, it's not just chips on their shoulder. It's like a struggle, like, though. It's a struggle. Instead of, like, trying to work within the system, you're trying to fight against the system. And I always say that about, yeah. about so. They didn't want to be from. I mean, literally, they didn't want to be from. When I say Shasani Kirtsono, and I look at Shasani Isha, and I, like, I fully feel 
that I love saying that bracha because I've spent 30 years trying to figure out how to love that bracha. And I, I totally love it now. And I actually like, the, you know, like in high school, you're told, oh, it's because women are special. They're more like what Hashem wants. No, like the idea that that that's who we are and that's Hashem's. But like, if you're a from woman and you think about this stuff, it might take 30 years to settle into the beauty of it, but like you will eventually get there. Right, right. Does that make sense? So Maharat, it's like you, you're struggling with something. You immediately want to change it. You miss out on everything. Okay, let's get to when you left Maharat and why you left Maharat. Should I tell the story? I told it to you. Should I tell you the story? You told me off screen, so no one else heard it besides me. So okay. how again? <laughs> it was an interesting enough to tell the audience. Okay. So yeah, it was uh, – so at a certain point, like, I, you know, I guess I'm a little naive. I mean, I didn't realize the divide around Trump. I just felt – the guy's saying some interesting things. I believe in people doing tshuva. Like, okay, maybe he was a jerk. Maybe whatever. Like, he's saying, like, really good things. So I'm just going to say maybe Hashem gave him the desire to do tshuva and, like, I'll give it a shot. So then I continued to think that the things he was saying were interesting. Okay, whatever it was. At a certain point, maybe I slipped to a few people at Maharat that I was supportive of Trump and, you know, would have some conversations like that. So... When it came time for the election, I don't know if everybody remembers that fateful night. And then like the next day, all the millennials needed therapy. So of course, at Maharat, there was a therapy session scheduled right away. And it happened to be that I, so we always had to have like sessions with the psychologist. I mean, what Smicha program has a psychologist on board that needs to meet with everybody all the time? So I had a meeting with the psychologist, a regular scheduled thing. And I said, oh, you know, I'm not going to go to that. It's like obnoxious for me to go to that. It's like a morning circle for Trump winning. Like, I'm not going to go. She's like, no, you should go. You know, it's important for people to hear each other. So I said, are you serious? Okay, I'll go. (laughs) So I zoom in, you know, it's a zoom. People are telling their stories about how sad they are and how they can't live another day and whatever. What are they going to tell their kids? So I prepared. I thought this was perfect. I prepared, okay, I'll give a little window into what I like about Trump, but I'll say it in a way that maybe they'll really connect. I said, you know, I just want to say, like, it is surprising, but I think it can give us a good insight into when we do chesed to others, sometimes it can be patronizing, like welfare and all these things. Like, it doesn't always make people feel good. People were surprised by how many minorities voted for Trump. And I think that the reasoning for that is that people were inspired because he was always saying, you can make yourself more successful. Americans can all be successful and create a future for themselves. And I think people were inspired by that. So I just think that could account for why so many minorities voted for him. So then I was zooming like right across from the main camera was like the psychologist and the the woman facilitating the program. And she was like, I don't, oh, by the way, when I was talking, somebody walked out of the room. I don't think this is like the place to defend why we voted for one person or another. It's just really not appropriate. And I was looking at the psychologist who like an hour before had told me to come and I was waiting for her to, you know, say, I asked her to come and like share nothing. Blank face. So I said, okay, that's interesting. And so she's like, can you please just, you know, I, I think it was inappropriate that you did that. 
So I was like, okay. Then the next woman, she's like, I have to go tonight to talk to my students at Columbia. I don't know what I'm going to say to them. I can't face them. I can't face them. Like they're about to go into the world. Like what kind of world am I telling them they're living in? So the woman who just told me to shut up is like, look, sometimes all they need is just like a little authenticity. Just, just be authentic with them. Like show them how you feel. Let them know because they'll really appreciate it. I literally looked at the room of women and I just clicked like exit and I never went back. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like forget about the Jewish stuff. Forget about how nuts these women were. Forget about everything. How unself aware. And then to call yourselves the authentic ones, I just like, I couldn't handle it. That was it. Because this, this was just after that she had berated you for being your authentic self, quote unquote. Yeah, exactly. Like only be your authentic self if it falls within. And then I just said, you know what? Enough of like me trying to bring in conservative feminist things about how women who are mothers can still feel empowered. Like I kept trying to bring in like reading groups, like, you know, let's look at different sides of feminism. Women should choose. They should choose to be able to feel being a mother is their destiny. And we should embrace that. That's so Torah. That's such Torah oriented feminism, isn't it? And like non-Jewish women write about it. Like how cool is that? Not allowed to talk about that. That's horrible. (laughs) You know, that's like, bringing us back to the 50s, whatever. So like, you know, all these and the beautiful women writers actually from the very Haredi community in Israel who are writing a lot about like male and female energy and trying to grapple with some of these things. Um, One of them is like Circle Spiral uh, something and one is The Moon's Lost Light. Like there's these women who are very Haredi who are writing these very interesting. So I would always try to bring it in. I was like, forget it. This is never happening. Like this environment it's a closed environment. Um, any closing thoughts? I think that Maharaj should be looked at carefully. And if it's something that is going to continue, I really would like it to be less nefarious. <laughs> like I do feel that it's, you know, I think it's not a good force. Right. It's sad to me because religious girls end up encountering it a lot. And it's very easy to not see the nefarious side of it right away. It seems so innocent. It really is a little ace of. And so for me, it's upsetting because once I realized it's nefarious, look, I haven't talked about it until now. So I haven't been like on a rampage against it. Privately, I have. But, you know, I haven't chosen to publicly be against it. But I do feel it's dangerous. And I think it's a good point. Things that people have to remember because... Most people who are doing terrible things in this world, if you met them in person, they would strike you as nice people. I'm sure. Not, I'm not sure. But if you take people like Biden or Obama or Pelosi, maybe some of these people are jerks in private life. But I'm sure some of them in private life are very nice people. But just because you're a nice person and you have good intentions doesn't mean you actually aren't doing bad things. And we that is that's a great point. So you know, you said you had a great chavrus, and I'm sure she is. And and I'm sure some other girls, you know, are nice people and all that. But at the end of the day, it's not about whether you're nice or not. It's about whether are you doing something which is good or bad. Do something which is in constant. Right. Like, will. are you are you building or are you destroying? Right. And I will say that I think that what they're doing is destructive. It's destructive to a lot of things. And if it was so clear that it wasn't Torah Judaism to everyone, look right away. I sent my girls to base Yaakov. <laughs> like, there's no modern Orthodox schools for me. Because honestly, I don't want my girls watching across a machitza when they're 12 
and seeing boys put on tefillin every day and have to deal with that at such a young age. In Beis Yaakov, there's a chazanis who leads davening every day. It's a different girl. It's great. Beautiful singing. I never once had to think about this stuff until I was an adult. And I, I will, th- this is my final thought. I will say, come from a, the more yeshivish community, went to Beis Yaakov, yeshiva high, whatever, seminary. Like the modern Orthodox world needs to be very, very careful. Because if you think you can integrate everything, you can't. Because then you're more on the side of this. You ha- you're going to have to be work so much harder to differentiate between this and that. And I think that, you know, the fact that the OU even engaged with it, like what yeshivish institution even said anything about Maharat except to make fun of it? And the OU t- has, this, has to make serious statements and all these things. So I guess... I just would like to say that I think my yeshivish background gave me the ability to see through it. And I do have a lot of friends in the much more modern Orthodox world who I think have a harder time telling their daughters or explaining to themselves why this isn't the path of Torah. Right. And I'll end with this. Rav Shamshan Rafal Hirsch, who is promoting very much Torah and Derek Heretz, Torah with the world, but he was very clear that Torah comes first and you engage with, with the world to the degree that it fits with Torah. And so famously, at the 100th birthday of Schiller, who was a very famous German poet, there was a National Day of Celebration. And Rav Hirsch, and in his school, gave an address praising Schiller's poetry and how he has wonderful values. But apparently mm-hmm. he told a friend of his, if that celebration had been for Goethe, who was another famous German poet, and not for Schiller, he said he would have left town to avoid having to have anything to do with the celebration because he felt that Goethe's values were basically pagan and not Jewish. So combining, you know, a Jew being in the world, you do it when it fits with Torah and to the degree that it fits with Torah. And if it doesn't, then you don't. It's, you don't have this inferiority complex where everything right. in society is correct and I have to figure out how I fit in. No. Torah you is don't have supreme. to apologize for, right, you don't exactly. have to apologize for what Torah says and, and who we are and what our values are. And the minute you you ask me to apologize or explain it or integrate it into Torah or Torah into it, you start to lose a lot. Right. And I did see that. I mean, from my perspective, not coming from the modern Orthodox world. Right. And the same Rambam who studied so much secular knowledge and was part of the, you know, King's court as a physician, he himself writes that when society becomes corrupt, you basically shouldn't be in society. You basically say to yourself, he said, if that's not possible, go to a desert. I mean, so <laughs> he writes that literally. So, I mean, yeah. So, anyways, all right. It's really great having you on the show. I really appreciate your insight. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That does it for us. If you have any suggestions on whom you would like to hear on this podcast in the future, please write to me at editor at 1vs450.com. That's 1vs450.com. If you have any questions, you're welcome to write to me there. Also, if you'd like to sign up for my newsletter, you're welcome to write to that address as well. Again, that is editor at 1vs450.com. Have a great day or a great night, depending on when you're listening to this episode.